This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is brought to you by Fisher Skis. is the Out of Bounds podcast, and uh, we have a couple good episodes for you today. Uh, one with Alex Hackle, uh, who is part of The Bunch, Thousand Skis, uh, and is one of my favorite skiers to watch right now. Um, and then one with Seth Campbell, who's been on the show before um, for a POW special series that we did last year, but uh, he's on this year to kind of talk about glaciers and current climate change situation and honestly a whole bunch of stuff relating to climate change. So... Um, he's a skier, he's a manor, and uh, he's a POW ambassador, so it's really cool to have him on the show again and kind of get his thoughts a little more openly this time uh, on what's going on. Uh, first, we have Alex Hackle, and then we have Seth. Um, before we jump into the episode, we have a few sponsors for today, uh, one of which is our friends at Woodchuck Cider. Woodchuck makes uh, my favorite ciders that are available on the market right now. Uh, they are a Vermont-based company, and they make everything from Pear Seco to Mimosas to an Amber... Um, an amber ale, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So um, I'm psyched on Woodchuck. Be sure to check out everything online at woodchuckcider.com. Um, and yeah, just give them a shot. Perseco, that's uh, that's the move. And they have rosé. And they, like the stuff is just good. It's light. It's uh, it's what you want. It's what you want out of a cider company, I guess. I don't even know how to like describe what this stuff is because it's, it's so much different than everything else that I've had. So um, shout out to Woodchuck. Um, be sure to give them a follow on the gram as well. And, uh, and yeah, that's basically, that's the deal. Um, we also have Burn Helmets as a sponsor today. Burn has been a sponsor in the past and they're back for a few more episodes. Um, and it, for you big headed people out there, Burn has the best fitting XL helmet or large helmet that I've ever tried on. Like I have a gigantic head and I have a ton of hair and Burn has been by far the easiest fitting helmet that I've ever put on. Uh, and actually like a few of you have bought some and sent me messages like this is great. This actually fit and I'm psyched to hear it. I'm in the Watts in a large and uh, it's been really good. So check out Burn Helmets at burnhelmets.com, uh, Burn Helmets on Instagram and you can use promo code out of bounds 15 uh, to save 15% off on your purchase. Um, and then the last one we have for today is ZipFit. If you haven't skied in a ZipFit liner, you are missing out. Um, it's an expensive product, but it's a product that lasts forever. I mean, we're talking like 700 plus ski days. It is a way better performance liner than anything else that exists on the market right now. Um, so if you're looking for an added bonus to your ski day and your performance, ZipFit kind of has you covered. Um, you can use promo code OUT OF 10 to save 10% off on your purchase. And this is the only time you're going to find a discount code on ZipFit liners. Um, and get them while you can because that stuff is coming back in stock this month and it'll be gone soon. It's uh, it's rad. I'm psyched. And it's a great crew of people over there. So um, they're based in Colorado these days. And that product is like, it, you know it's a zip fit product when you look at it. Sorry if you hear the showering in the background. Sour one's taking a shower. We're in break for this Fisher dealing with Bob. So um, speaking of, quite a few people skiing on zip fits met this thing because they're intelligent. They know what's up. So uh, be sure to get yourself a ZipFit liner, ZipFit.com, uh, and use promo code out of bound or out of ten uh, to save ten percent off. So, uh, without further ado, here is our conversation with Alex Hackle. Alex, uh, we're doing this thing again. It's okay that people know that. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself. 
tell me who you are, what you do, and uh, and tell the people. So what's going on? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for letting me do this again as well with a little bit of Wi-Fi and a little bit better preparation. Uh, my name is uh, Alex Hackle. I'm a professional skier. I uh, grew up in the suburbs of Boston, and I'm probably most known for my street skiing and the two real ski videos that I made. Uh, I got bronze the first year. I got silver the second year. And I'm also a co-owner of a thousand keys and am a producer for the bunch. Sick. Are you doing real ski again this year? Uh, I'm not. This year we're gonna we're okay. gonna be a little more in the mountains than last year. Yeah, what's uh what's the plan? I know I didn't ask you anything about this last time, so I'm gonna throw you off a little bit, but what's uh, what's your plan this season? Do you have anything in mind that you're like, okay, and I don't need specifics, but Anything in particular that you're really trying to focus on? Uh, definitely. So uh, this year, uh, me and Magnus, uh, we're like, spearheading a new bunch project, and uh, it's going to be called Many Fantasies Later. And uh, we're going to be, uh, it's pretty much going to be mainly like uh, backcountry, side country, like everything's going to be filmed uh, on the mountain or in the backcountry. And we're going to try and take like our skiing into that realm. And it feels really exciting to to spice it up and like every day out on the mountain we've been uh out skiing the last three days like uh, powder and it's super cool because everything's just like you're taking in so much information how was it it looked good i uh, i saw magnus digging around a little bit on some soft snow it looks it's ridiculous yeah i gotta say like uh so we're an angle body and uh it's in switzerland and we're staying at this uh i'm gonna give him a, a shout out ski watch angle body there it's like honestly like the biggest hotel and uh we like uh saw on instagram like a whole bunch of people were getting like really good powder so then we're like okay like we gotta go so we booked it over there and then you know always how it happens right it's like if you see something getting powder you're too late like you're gonna yeah, come right. when it's tracked out and then the first day we showed up and it was like uh, super foggy and then like halfway through the day, like the sun popped out and then we were just like sending cliffs and the snow was so good because nobody got to actually ride the good zones yet because it's been so foggy. So we just got like, I don't know, it was like honestly like my first day or I guess I skied two days in Killington. So it was my third day skiing this year <laughs> and, it, and it was like, it was honestly so bloody good. And then, uh, and then it snowed like, I want to say like six to seven inches like every day since then so oh, every day it's just been getting filled up uh like all the old tracks get filled up and uh, we took it down day today and it snowed and tomorrow it's supposed to be sunny so i'm excited oh god that's amazing good for you it's uh so how was uh how was killington did i see you hanging out with talty yeah talty is like a super good friend of mine he's actually one of my best friends and uh yeah we were, we were hanging out together and we did the uh, the hike and hang and it was like an event that I put on like rail jam style but that everybody got pretty much everybody got some swag or you know it's a it's like about inclusion so it's not yeah, like yeah. a competition as much as it's a jam that's sick that yeah that dude's the shit i love what that dude's doing and he's been doing it forever and it's just like he's just he seems happy he's and i know him i mean he's he's a real he's been on the show a few times he's uh he's the shit man yeah I, I love his like attitude like uh yeah. and I, how much he supports like skiing and, and the culture and also like um i don't know he's he's really he's just like a really good guy like i've known him for a long time and you know there's like certain people who are really reliable and like can really help you out and he's just like a, 
like just a really good, really reliable friend. And like, I, I appreciate a lot being able to have like somebody that, you know, you can talk to and, and that they're just like a super good homie and super reliable dude. Yeah, for sure. Can you talk to me about how a dude from Mass ended up hanging out with a bunch bunch of people from Switzerland? Like, what's the what's the story with that? Or from Sweden? Like, what's the what's the story? Like, how did you guys meet? How did you meet Magnus and the whole crew? Yeah, so uh, we met like in the spring at Mount Hood. They have like the spring pass option where you can get a super cheap pass. And it attracts like pretty much every type of skier and apparently a whole bunch of Swedes. And uh, we didn't have a place to stay. And uh, we were able to like meet them. And then they're like, yeah, we have like a bunch or we don't have like a bunch of space, but you could sleep on the floor. So we slept on their floor for like four nights. It was me, Cole Gibson, Jeremy Bayou. And then we like all camped and then their like apartment, like they... I don't want to say the least, but they were just like renting it every week. And then when the weather got good, then they came, like they stopped renting it and they came and camped with us. And then we just like kept in contact. And then when the HG dudes, uh, we found Eat the Guts. And then after that, like it was kind of like some of those dudes wanted to do some other stuff and we weren't going to make a film again that year. And I uh, wrote to Magnus and I was like, hey, like, you know, like they just dropped interpretation. And I was like, I don't, have you seen interpretation? Yeah, for sure. Okay, for me, that was like, when I was in the cinema, uh, I went to High Five Festival. And when I saw that, like, that was like such a life-changing movie. Like, when, when like, the, the screen, you know, like, how the screen moves in the intro. And then, oh, when, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. then they have the Pocahontas uh, song. And then Lucas drops into Freestyle, or Freestyler by MC Boomfunk. That was like, <laughs> I was... I was already like such a big fan, but when I saw that movie, I was like, okay, like these dudes like are on such a wavelength. So I wrote to Magnus and I said, hey, like if you dudes are doing another project, like uh, I, you know, I, I don't have any project this year, and like I'd love to to film with you guys. And then he's like, you know what, like I'm I'm like not gonna be focusing on a project this year, but Paul is our paybin, and uh, so he like put us in contact. <laughs> And then I got like in, invited to to go film with them that year, and then basically like I just clicked like really well with Paul and Magnus, and then also like I guess like we're all just like really passionate about making films, and then you know just when that energy clicks, it's you kind of know when you're like okay, I'm in like I'm I'm surrounded by like good company, and they appreciate my company, and like let's keep let's keep making stuff together. Well, I hope the they appreciate like? uh, the vibe like. What's the vibe like when you guys are like at a spot or you guys are filming or you guys are doing something together? I mean, that's one of the things that I think makes the projects that you guys do so cool. Like it just feels like everybody's together, but it's so unique and so different. But so tell me, like, what's the vibe like when you guys are at a spot? Uh, definitely. I would say the vibe is like really good. Uh, it's not always good. Of course, we have our downsides <laughs> like and everything. Like I don't want to like give a false like advertisement that like we never argue or that it's like always amazing. But I would say it's a lot of the times it's a really like good vibe. And I guess what I loved about them was that when I started filming with them was there's like nothing that was like, uh, I don't want to say, I, I think like when you ski, especially like street, there's like a lot of like unspoken rules. And uh, I don't really think like in the bunch, like we, we really follow the unspoken rules. It's pretty much like if you have an idea, like, feel free to do it and uh you know it's sort of like the best idea wins 
and it, like sort of all these like uh, unwritten rules like only one person can have a shot on each spot or mm. like all this stuff kind of or a spot has to be huge or like all these like other stuff that i think like a lot of crews like carry with them that can kind of make the session i think it just limits the session because you kind of like limit the possibilities but i would say like that's like the big thing is like what like a bunch session it's like basically like it's unlimited possibilities and it's basically like the the best ideas like come to the top because there's no like I, not that there's no limits but that like the the creativity really is prioritized so it's like basically like there's not like a bunch of stuff in the way it's just like if you have an idea like the person beside you trusts your idea and it's like willing to help you get that and then when they have an idea like i'm willing to help them get that idea and get it into their part and into the film yeah yeah, that's got to be one of the best things, to, like having the ability for everybody to kind of put their egos aside and be like, here's the collective project, like here's the end goal. That's got to be, honestly, that's got to be the death of a lot of the groups is that that ego aspect of it. So like, I got to get the shot. Like, I have to have the best part. This is the best idea. We're always like, that is almost a negative thing, I feel like, for a lot of crews out there. Definitely. And, and it is like, um, yeah, it's like a lot of this stuff that, like especially like filming film parts and just being like professional skiers like super vanity and like it does attract like a lot of ego and like uh you know i do think putting like your ego aside but then also like i think a big thing of it too is like i guess when i started riding street with par it's like this really big moment for me because par can just do things on his skis that i can't do slash i don't think it's possible and like i kind of like had to like learn that like okay just because i can't see it in my head doesn't mean that it can't be possible and mm -hmm. if i go and i say something negative then i'm bringing this negative attitude and basically i remember him telling me about a trick and in my head i'm like there's no way he's gonna do this trick like <laughs> i don't even like what is he talking about and then like an hour later he does the trick and then i'm like i just had a rule after that. i'm like i just i don't tell par what he can and can't do like he he knows what he can and can't do and i basically i just support the vision and make sure that the feature's safe. Uh, Cause that's like right. a big thing is if you want to be skiing street for a long time, you got to make sure that you're building the features right. So basically I just put my energy towards making sure that, uh, you know, he can do the trick as best as he can and then take my ego of like, whether I think the trick's possible or not. And I leave that for him. And then uh, it's like, uh, that's like a big thing too. Is like when you're like out with people, if people like themselves have like a limited vision of what's possible, then it kind of like, osmosis it, it gets yeah. on like the rest of the crew whereas if you have a crew that's like i i don't know how this is going to look or how it's going to work but like yeah you're a great skier like if you think you can do it like do it yeah that's really cool um so talk to me a little bit about what you guys have going on at a thousand skis it's a new company first year skis are launching i have some behind me i got the pow skis behind me and uh i'm excited to go play around in some wa literal water later, but it's, uh, tell me what it's about. Tell me what your role is within the company. And then talk to me a little bit about what the, I, I guess just what the goal is. I mean, there's a lot of ski companies out there, but this feels very different. Definitely. And thank you. Thank you for that compliment. And so thousand skis, it's a new ski company that me, Pabin, Lucas, all Madison, Magnus Grenier, Anton Poitlin and all the Lungholger that we started and uh, four of us are professional skiers. Aldrich is a professional photographer slash amazing designer. And then Anton, uh, he's like our, our 
CEO, you know, he, he makes sure things get done on time. And uh, it was basically born out of this like idea, like that we like all wanted to like, sort of like create our own thing. Like we, we all liked the sponsors that we wrote for and we like liked the product, but we felt like that the ski industry was like missing something, I guess. And like, I would say like, uh, the ski that we like all wanted to ride, it was missing, but then also like it's missing something, I think also in aesthetics. And that like, I do think that the ski industry, it's like, there's very like well-established brands. And then I, there also is like, there, don't get me wrong, there's tons of like uh, smaller brands as well, but that we felt like, I don't know, that to inject something new into it would be like very good because it feels like a lot of stuff in the ski industry. It's like, it's been around forever and there's both positives and negatives, but it's like, why don't we like give our own take on it? Uh, both like how skis ride and perform, like let's give our take on that, but also like how a ski company markets and how it like brands itself and who it identifies with. And I think like I take a lot of inspiration from like making ski films and mm. especially like the ski films that I enjoy watching and the ski films that like we make is like, I feel like it's always about like kind of like, you know, like just shaking up the formula and like testing something different and like bringing a new like visual. And I think like you see it a lot in like the, just in general in like bunch films, it's just like, okay, like, I don't know. It's not like a Warren Miller film or is, you know, it's, 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 it's basically like, what's a new way to document skiing. And that's sort of the attitude, like taking into a thousand as well. It's like, okay, like what's a new way to like, brand a ski what's a new way to market a ski what's a new way to sort of like think about a ski to like give something something else because like the warren miller films already existed or like that classic ski it's already out there so like how can we basically like create a new option that's what i'm trying to get at it's like just give people like a, a different choice that they're maybe not getting in the market today yeah no and i i think that's that's the right avenue to take here from my opinion, because there's so many ski companies out there and it's, it's hard. Like it's an expensive sport. It's expensive to make skis. It's difficult. It requires so many different things uh, to make this thing work. And like, this is a different product. And I think you guys kind of have different goals. Definitely. And to answer like what I do in the company. So I was in charge of like the merchandising. So we sell a bunch of apparel as well. We sell like crew next t-shirts and, uh, basically we didn't want to you know we we view ourselves as like a high quality company like our skis are very high quality and like we put so much energy also in making sure that like our merchandise is like really high quality because it's if you're gonna you know spend a lot of money on our skis then like you can't be buying a really cheap shirt from us like we have mm -hmm. to have this like quality throughout the whole company and uh so it's like on me to basically make sure that we we're getting like the right fabrics with like the nice weight and then also like we have our own fit so it's not like a gildan that we just like press like our logo on like all the all the products that we have and all the merchandise that we have like it's like a complete own cut that like we came up with yeah because we wanted to make sure that like if you bought something with us you know it's, it's a quality product so that's what i did like at the beginning and i am still in charge of all merchandising uh and then sort of like it is like a you know we're a small operation at the moment in terms of like the the owners are, are the people that do stuff so like I, I write all the newsletters as well and then like sort of like now it's like a lot of marketing because this is the high season for ski sales 
so like me and Magnus work together. Like Magnus is a social media coordinator and I do some like newsletters and other type of marketing. So basically me and Magnus uh, work a lot in the marketing aspect. So basically like getting the message out there and getting the content out there. Yeah, it's gotta be exciting. How have sales been so far? Uh, they've been good. I can't, uh, I don't want to disclose anything. I don't, no, no, no. I, I won't ask you for numbers. I just mean like, are you guys comfortable? <laughs> yeah. Like, has it been like what you expected? Yes, no. Uh, yeah, I would say it's been like, it's been good. Uh, it, it's like, it's definitely like interesting because you, you make like a lot of projections and you make a lot of projections before you've even like launched your brand. So it's really interesting to right. see like what things overperform and what things underperform. And basically, uh, I would say that we're we're sitting in a good position, and that uh, like I'm I'm very grateful that we are where we are, and like the people that buy our skis and support us, like especially like you, like like you're an early adapter, like uh, and that you you bought the skis, like I want to see you bought the skis in like the first two weeks that they were available in the market, yeah. uh, means uh, so much to us, and you know it's it's very exciting to see like how many people like yourself who have basically like taken the chance on us mm. and uh so i would say it's like it's really good and it's also like very interesting because you know everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face says mike tyson and i wouldn't say we yeah. get punched <laughs> in the face but it's definitely like you launch a company like you have no idea what's happening you do all the preparation and then you launch it and then it just it, then it's out there in the world and then it just you know it goes and you have to basically adjust because maybe you calculate something amazing before you launch and maybe you know you did something wrong and you have to adjust course right yeah i mean to me it was like it was a no-brainer like i talked to magnus and i was like okay i'm saying i want to support this right i'm saying i want to support skiing and like the niche side of things and like i'm i'd be fucked if i didn't put my money where my mouth is right like that's like you can't just say this and then not me so to me i'm like this is a new thing that people that I really admire are starting and I, I need to find a way to support. And this is honestly like, it's not like I'm doing it for nothing. I get these, like I get to go have fun on these. Like it's, it's, it's a win-win for everybody. I think. Definitely. And yeah, like uh, we appreciate the support and it's like you're saying, like it is like, if you like our aesthetic, if you like like our skis and, and basically like the sort of messaging of a thousand skis then like buying it is like, supporting it and making sure that it lives another day and it grows and that you know also like that a bunch of like skiers uh now have a stake in the industry i think right. that's like a, a very big thing and then also like one thing i'll say too is like we really do like of course i'm biased but like we do like really really like the skis and i do yeah. think it is a ski that is not like it's not on the market right now and it's just amazing like blend of basically being able to be like soft and playful and stable. And that's like, uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm hyped on how they perform as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, while we're kind of on this topic, we kind of touched on it last time. Uh, lately, I've been harping on people a lot about like making money in skiing, right? And we talked about this. This is an extremely uncomfortable conversation. It's somewhat taboo. People don't talk about it enough. And I'm not, I don't want to know like how much money you make necessarily. I want to know what and how long it took you to get to the point where you felt sustainable as an athlete in skiing, right? Because that's the thing. And we both listened to the bomb hole. We talked about the cheddar biscuits thing. And it's like, I just want to know 
that there is a way to kind of make this work because it feels like it's too difficult to make it work as an athlete financially sometimes in this in this business right i know from the media side it's like i'm i have to send a thousand emails before i get a few that actually want to support right and it's like the product's good you have the the information to go out there and on the athlete side of things i would think that it's even easier but i find out more and more that it ends up being harder so definitely i think you're right and i think that basically a lot of times like what you see on the outside of what professional skiers post versus maybe the return that they're getting uh, income wise is completely different. You might think this person makes a complete living off of this and uh, it could be that they're, you know, that it's not even close to being uh, a day job. Uh, for myself, I would say that skiing became my main job about two years ago. Before that, I was uh, doing a whole bunch of school. I have a bachelor's in international business and I was also working for my dad company uh, total training and i was in the marketing department in the summers and then also like got very lucky and like my family was able to support me like if i got a good opportunity skiing or a competition or something like i was also able to get some help from the family to be able to you know get to the point where skiing could be my day job and uh i do think that in general like it's it's good to talk about like it's uncomfortable like right now i'm like watching every <laughs> word i'm saying to make sure that I don't sound like crazy or unprofessional or, you know, <laughs> what whatever it is. So I think that there's like a, like a, a worth in like, you know, I don't know. I guess like there's two things that come up for me. And like one is like Kieran McVeigh, uh, you know, Kieran or, you know, of Kieran. Yeah. Uh, very legendary guy. Uh, he hasn't been skiing in a long time, but I remember we got to go on one trip together and he told me that you always get paid two years back in the ski industry so you get paid for the work that you did two years prior hmm. and i think that obviously that's a theory that's not true and it's not true in all cases but i think especially if you're a film skier it's like okay you're gonna film this trick now and you might be at like the absolute top level like basically like at the point where it's like there's no better film skier than you then it's gonna take a whole year for it to publish and then the ski industry like i would say in general like uh, people like don't want to take risks like they want to be with like a known commodity and oftentimes I think you see if like a skier is skiing like crazy good and crazy different that sometimes people like don't want to take a chance on them so basically it's going to take a year for your footage to drop then it's going to take a year for basically people to come around and see how bloody good your footage is probably mm -hmm. and then maybe potentially another year before you've become so ingrained in what free skiing is that you're no longer this like unknown commodity but instead you're like uh i don't want to say a household name but you're well known so i would say that like a lot of things that you do in skiing like take a long time before the decision makers basically come around to it slash start believing in you to sell products so i do think there's some truth in what kieran says which is that you do it's like you're on like back pay and that's mm -hmm. like uh, a big thing too is like I know, like uh, especially because I was young uh, very recently. I'm 25 now, so I'm not old. I'm not young. I'm somewhere in the middle. But when I was younger, like everyone's like hating on the old heads for for making money. And uh, the truth is that it's just like they're. I think it's something that they've built their brands, and that once you've built your brand, then the brand like it 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 functions for a long time even after 
you know, you stop being serious about it almost. And I'm not saying I'm not, I haven't used any names. So I'm not calling anybody out, but basically there is some people, <laughs> there is some people, right. That, you know, they, they get to a certain point and then they put on cruise control, but they keep, you know, keep getting those paychecks under cruise control. And I have no problem with that because, you know, they work so hard to get to that point. And once you're at that point and you right. put so much time into skiing, it's not like you owe it to skiing to be like, okay, you know what, pay somebody else. It's like, hell no. I, I respect yeah, that. Yeah. Nobody owes anybody shit. Exactly. Exactly. And so basically, I think that when you're like a young kid, you don't understand like, wait, but I, I'm so much better than that person. Or right, wait, right. like what I'm what I'm putting out right now is so much better. But I think there's that gap. And then the last thing on this subject, or not the last thing, but the last, the second of the two things I thought about is uh, Pabin. He always talks about basically like creating some sort of skiers union. And that would be mm. basically, uh, it would be a huge undertaking. But the basic idea would be that, okay, I think that like a lot of people get taken advantage of because they don't understand their marketing value. And then not only that, but they don't communicate clearly with other people. So I think that like a lot of skiers could benefit by just getting advice from other skiers. So for example, if like I were to get offered like a, a, a contract for an energy drink sponsor, uh, how, how valuable would it be that I could speak with somebody who's been on energy drink sponsor, let's just say Torinator Wallace, who's yeah. waiting for Red Bull for five years and know approximately how much money he's making slash what, what kind of things I have to do for this company and creating that, that dialogue so that a younger skier who maybe isn't, uh, you know, skiing and doing business are, they're two different, you know, two different character traits and, uh, you know, basically connecting these young people with maybe some older people who have like the applicable knowledge to help them. Yeah. Yeah, no, for real. I mean, it's like you got to be a professional athlete and now you also have to be a professional marketer. And then you also have to know how much your value is. Right. Like that's that's insane to think that that's a that's a thing that just should be the standard. Right. And you have no idea where you were. I know, like I talk to a lot of the other people that host podcasts and skiing and we like are like, oh, how much did you get? How much did you get? How much did you get? Right. So it's not like I need to know for you, but you need to know what magnus gets for certain things you need to know what this person so that you can use it as leverage because like we talked about tom brady like tom brady no we see that contract like it gets posted so when another quarterback goes and has a contract that comes up he knows to go like okay tom brady made this i'm asking for this it, we don't even know what anybody makes like i don't know whether i should go to a company and on the media side and ask for a hundred dollars for a post or i should ask for two thousand you know it's like you're everywhere and it's just because there's no information, there's no clarity here. And it does, it leads to people getting taken advantage of in this space. Yeah, I think, I think you're totally right. And to put another equation into like having to be not just a professional skier, but a professional marketer and professional like um, accountant, seller, accountant or whatever. You also, you're 18, like you're going through, like what? you don't have that self-confidence yet or you know you're you're still learning so much all the time so especially when you put that in and uh yeah so it's it's definitely crazy and i think that in general like the ski industry would benefit it's uh, it's like you were telling me last time it's not like you need to go public like the football players and how much you make but 
basically it would be amazing to see if professional skiers could like have better communication with each other and you know basically be able to help each other out uh to make sure that not like equal pay but basically that people are making decisions with good information and, and just making right. informed decisions it's not like you can google like how much did tanner hall make last month you know like you can't that stuff isn't out there and it doesn't it, there's just not even a reference it's like going in blind it's like you have no idea what into these conversations a lot of times especially as a younger skier what is available to you even or what you're worth right and it ends up not funding a lot of the things that need to happen as a professional so it that conversation is really important to keep having and keep pushing and having <clears throat> having some clarity because it is it's all over the place yeah i, I totally agree 100 um all right moving on uh let's talk a little bit about i've, I've read a bunch obviously when i prepped for this initially and one of the things that came up often was you saying that one of your like skiing idols when you grew up was Simon Dumont. Like one of the people you really looked up to was Simon Dumont. And then I've also read that Henrik Carlo was somebody that you looked up to. So obviously two very different outward personalities. Talk to me a little bit about where that all started. Definitely. So uh, I can start with Simon because it's in chronological order of my yeah. favorite skiers. And uh, I grew up uh, outside of Boston in a suburb. And I skied Sunday River, Maine every weekend. My parents had a condo up there. And Simon Dumont's from Sunday River, Maine. And he's like the hometown hero. And he's he's a huge celebrity. So if you've like skied Sunday River, Maine, and you know, just like as a kid, like you're you're skiing the slopes and you're looking up to good skiers, and then you ask those good skiers, like who's the best skier who skis this mountain? And they would all be like Simon. And you'd watch the X Games halfpipe, Simon versus Tanner. And it was like a, a holy day. Like that was bigger than the Super Bowl for me. And uh, my dad lined it up that I got to ride at the chairlift with him because it's not that big a community in Sunday River. And, you know, he knew a guy, he knew a guy. And he got his 11-year-old uh, son to be able to meet Simon Dumont and ride at the chairlift with him twice. And that day, like, you know, that's the reason I got twin tips and the reason that I got into skiing. And so I guess like, that's like a lot of where my admiration for Simon Dumont comes in. Is like he's uh, the main reason. Like if I didn't watch him do a front flip on flat ground and a cork five mm -hmm. lead mute that day at the train park at Cinder River, then I'm not, you know, I'm not freestyle skiing. Or maybe I come into another way. But I, I think that's like the first guy that I'm like, wow, like you're a rock star if you're a professional skier. And then the Henrik uh, comes into like, you know, a little later on, now I have the twin tips. Now I'm riding all the time. Now I'm getting into like being a nerd and uh, going into new schoolers and, you know, seeing all the different type of free skiing, not just like half hype and what you see in X Games, but, you know, like chug life and, you know, more <laughs> more of the underground culture. And then I, I was just super drawn to Henrik skiing because that was like when I was starting to learn more about how like, you know, skiing isn't just about the number on the on the scoreboard. That like free skiing is a lot about self-expression and it's very subjective. And Henrik was kind of like the perfect guy who was like really, really good, but had this like un intangible aspect to skiing that just made it not just really, really good, but really, really good and really, really stylish. And so I, I just uh, I became a super fan. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's insane. Do you have contact with these guys now? Do you have a relationship with these guys now? And does Simon know that this is a thing for you? Uh, I don't think Simon knows it's a thing for me. Uh, on the level, that is probably a thing for me. Uh, so I met Simon uh, after this. So uh, he had a he had this event in Cinder River called the Dumont Cup, and I got ninth in it. And I met Simon there, of course. And then I made it on the US ski team, and they have this crazy training facility at the Center of Excellence in Utah. And I remember I like walked in on my first day, and I saw Simon Dumont. And I mean, I met him like a little bit, like between when I was eleven and now, like at the Dumont Cup and stuff. And he, and we were like we were friends. Like it wasn't like it was like oh yeah, what's up? And I was like whoa, like this is <laughs> just so crazy. But I don't think he knows. Like he definitely doesn't know that he's like the main reason why I started free skiing, or that his like interaction with me meant so much. Like he has no idea about that. Yeah. And then Henrik, I. Uh, I met Henrik at the Dumont Cup as well because I was so sick. I remember, like, uh, I'm a kid from the East Coast growing up at Sunday Remain, and, like, no professional skiers coming to Sunday Remain. Uh, even Simon came back, like, once every three years, you know? It was not, like, it's not Breckenridge. Uh, you're not seeing your favorite skiers. And when the Dumont Cup came, that was, like, all of a sudden, Tom Wallish, Henrik Carlo every single good skier under the sun was basically coming and skiing your home training park. And it, it was like such a big deal for me. And I uh, got my cast signed. I had broken my, I had broken my wrist really badly. And I think my mom still saved the cast that Henrik signed. Uh, and then, and then, you know, I got better at skiing and uh, you know, then all of a sudden I started, uh, I wouldn't say that I'm Henrik's peer, but basically then we started skiing together a couple of times and in vibing with each other. And I, I would say that like, I, not that I know Henrik well, but like we've skied some like street spots together last winter, which was crazy. And he knows that I'm like, was a super fan. Like I've already let him know. And yeah. Like, um, I'm a super fan. Like, I, and like, look at like, I mean, if you just like go on my Facebook feed and just like look at any of the clothes, like there's no hiding it. If, <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, speaking of Sunday River, do you know who Donnie Pelletier is? Uh, no. Do you know who Troy Murphy is? Yeah, I know Troy Murphy. We went to the GSR, the Gould Academy. Like, I don't know what it stands for, Gould Sunday River, but it's Weekend Academy. And okay. uh, so I know, I know Troy very well. He's, yeah, he's the man. Uh, you should, after we get off this call, look up Donnie Pelletier and uh and you'll make the connection there and figure out what that is that shit has like a cult following at sunday river it's like the most popular thing going on at sunday river right now i feel like it's it's the it's the best marketing tool that they have okay you got i gotta look at it now i'm feeling like out of the loop like how no, you're definitely out of the loop dog you're okay <laughs> okay okay yeah you know here i am like saying simon dumont didn't come back to sunday river for no, you know, three years uh, yeah here no it's it's something Wait, wait till you see it. But um, anyway, um, talk to me a little bit about what it's like being peers with these guys now. Because I mean, you are you you're you're on the same level as all these guys that you grew up watching, and you're at 25 years old now. It, it's got to just be such a weird experience to be where you're at in the sport. Uh, definitely, I think like a big thing is it's just like. Um... 
it's just like everything in life it happens very incrementally so mm. it it's like if you were to just teleport the 12 year old me to the 25 year old me like i i don't even really think that you could like i i don't even know how i would react it i would have been beyond the static uh but you know it happens so incrementally and you know then there's also like you know there's just so much that happens along the way then all of a sudden it's just normal one day and then uh so i guess it for me like it now feels like normal and uh that like when i hang out with henrik now i don't go crazy like i don't find out like yeah. i did when i was 13. i, I imagine it's, that yeah it, i i still like pick his brain like i have so much respect for his skiing and like when you're with a guy with henrik like how much information does this guy have like he's the biggest ski nerd of all time like i, I definitely want to learn from him but it that's all i would say is it's just it's it's you know it's like a, a rising tide that it's not just low tide than high tide but you know it's it, it's right. gradual and also and that's probably the best beyond, right? yeah and i'm beyond grateful yeah to be in the sure. position where i am um last thing i'll ask you about and then i'll let you get out of here um what what's your music situation what do you like for music how do you pick music that's in your parts what's on i looked through your i think it's your spotify playlist a little bit before i came on here just to see what you've been like what's on those playlists um so talk to me about what you like what what kind of stuff you have in your headphones okay now i'm nervous because i <laughs> haven't had spotify since i was 15. So I oh, think a lot of exactly i think i remember like i was uh, doing school and i would have you know the playlists with all the songs in the ski movies but i think it's like it's totally different like what you're like looking for in a part song versus what like music you listen to like on like a normal so. level like a part a part song uh shout out to connor gata uh he was uh one of the hg dudes uh one of the guys that found hg and uh he he described it really well you're looking for like a unicorn song because like a good part song like for me when i think about like great part songs i'm like thinking like okay like um jed anderson and shoot the moon to the mazzy star fade into you and like all of these sort of like songs that are just super epic and iconic it's like if you go into mazzy star and you try and find fade into you you're not going to find it it's the only song that she makes that's really like it and that like mm -hmm. especially for a part song like having the ups and the downs and basically having that feeling it's like it's it's so rare it doesn't just go you can't just say insert mazzy star just pick another album in another song it's like it's basically like each artist maybe if you're lucky creates like one or two songs that just happen to be a unicorn they're just some of them don't even at all sound like the rest of their like uh, disc discography. Like, um, you know, in uh, Finesse, um, Erica Badu, uh, the healer that Jens rides to. Like, honestly, like I've listened to a lot of Erica Badu and it's like, that's the only Erica Badu right. song that sounds anything like it. So when you're looking for a part song, it's, it's like very, very difficult because you're trying to look for something that is, has a lot of feeling and oftentimes, like, you, it's like, it's it's really just like looking for a needle in a haystack. And then it also gets difficult. It gets like more and more difficult uh, if you want copyrights. So when you make the X Games parts, you have to get copyrights for all the music. And that basically means you're looking in 
a needle in five haystacks. <laughs> um, and uh, so I think, uh, but I like that. And I think that that's actually like affected my love for music as well. That I like music so much because I got introduced through to music through these like ski, skateboard, snowboard movies. Mm-hmm. And then like on my path to figure out what music I like and finding those unicorn songs, then you listen to a whole lot of music on the way. And uh, I guess like for me, the the songs I guess you didn't ask me this, but I'm not gonna give it to you. But the songs that I'm like most excited about like skiing to, I would definitely say I was really excited like on the last re- real ski, the more like folk song that was it was mm-hmm. like almost like a poem and uh, the translation for that song is like very very beautiful. It's like uh, who can sail without the wind, uh, who can row without an oar, and who can like leave their friends without shedding a tear and then the next line is basically like i can row without a oar like i can sail without the wind but i can't leave my friends without crying a tear and it's uh it was just a minute and 40 seconds and the real skis a minute and 30 seconds so it was like the perfect fit and uh so that was i think like that was for me my favorite song i, I wrote to because it was so different than what i had done in the past yeah yeah, it's it, the song makes the part a lot of times, right? Like the song is so important to what gets put out there, especially honestly, I think I feel like Skate does it. There's this video I watched the other day. It's I put it up on the site actually because I was like this is like if nothing else from this video, like the skating is insane, but the way that every hit of like in every beat drops with the way that they're skating is like perfectly in alignment and like you feel the energy of everything going on when you're watching this part and the volume's on and like it, you won't, it almost puts you in that position. And I think ski parts have the same ability to do that, where if the music's right, you can feel a lot more than just what you're seeing, right? Definitely. And uh, first off, I, I, I love this topic. And I remember, like, when I decided I wanted to be a film skier, I went to IF3 Montreal, like, in the heydays, or maybe it wasn't even the heyday, but close enough to the heydays. And uh, it was this packed packed arena and I saw Clayton Vila's uh, five that he did and like every single trick that he did got an applause from the crowd like the whole the whole like cinema erupted and that's kind of when I realized that basically like how much emotion film parts have like but that I wasn't alone like as a kid I always felt those emotions when I watched the part with what you're saying with like the song and the tricks and the editing and this feeling and the filming and the feeling that they convey. Like I always had this feeling, like a gladiator feeling, like Cam Riley doing this crazy double kick. Like this is like something that's like, like that he's going to a crazy place in his head to do this. And that like the feeling of him accomplishing it is like this amazing feeling that makes me inspired to do stuff. And I didn't realize that other people felt that strongly about it until I was sitting in the cinema and the whole cinema was erupting. And I'm like, you know what? Like, this is awesome. Like, this this is just super awesome. That's what people chase, man. That's like what people chase in sports and in doing these parts is like getting people to feel something. And I think the the music is such an underrated part of that equation where like you can't do it without you can do it with no music it's just different vibe but like the right music sets it to a totally different stratosphere 
I would also say in this like uh, in this vein, I would say it's like another thing too with film parts. It's also like trick selection, just like song mm-hmm. selection. That tricks and spots and all this stuff goes to like this intangible, and that's like a thing. It's like the good creating a feeling is is creating an intangible because it's not like landing a trick perfect makes that trick better. Sometimes landing it not perfect makes it gives it that intangible feeling. But then you can't go around landing everything on perfect. But it's like, it's just, there's so much taste in making these ski films. And I would say like to also to like young kids out there, like I always felt like I was a good skier, but I didn't necessarily always think that I was like a great skier when it came to comp skiing. Because I feel like at comp skiing, it's like very much like you show up that day and you know, you, you do your craziest tricks and the craziest tricks win. And that's like totally cool. That's extremely difficult. I have so much respect. But I felt like I like I love skiing so much. I consumed these videos. These videos were my life. I was an encyclopedia of like skate, ski, snowboard videos. And like that, if I could use that taste that I built up and that knowledge and then combine that with my skiing talent, then I could start to make the impact that I wanted to and like really mm-hmm. feel like I could contribute something to skiing. And like that's like the thing that I love about film parts is it's it's like such a, a great equalizer because it's not only about the ski tricks, but it's about so much more than the ski tricks and that it gives chance for like people who maybe are less talented like in doing the craziest spins and rotations, but are super talented in the culture or in, you know, like building a segment. Like I love building segments, like an opener and ender the middle, like everything in the segment like matters and how you put those tricks together basically completely can change your experience of it. So it's it's just like the music. But basically if you're like a kid and you're like, I, I love skiing, I'm not gonna be able to do these crazy tricks to make it in the comp scene. Well I would say like, you definitely like have an avenue because like film skiing gives so much room also for you to take advantage of like uh, other things that aren't skiing related and put it into skiing to make your skiing even better. Well said. That's uh yeah, it's a beautiful thing, man. It's, it's an like, it's one of the things that I feel like doesn't get talked about enough in the sport. It's like that, that is like, that's it's feeling right. It's, it's the intangible. It's exactly what you said. It's the thing that people can't like write down and send to a marketer or a head of a company and be like, he has this thing that I can't really explain that that is really valuable. And that's what comes out in these video parts. And especially from you guys. I mean, you guys are the best at this shit. Like this is really like, this is what you guys do is create a vibe for people to sit down and watch and feel something different. You know, the creative aspect of it is just totally on a different level. So as always props for that. Thank you for the compliment. It means a lot. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, brother, I'm going to let you go. Um, what? Uh, where can people find you online? Where can people find you on Instagram, anywhere on the internet? Um, plug away. Perfect. So you can find me uh, on Instagram at Alex Hackle, and you can find a thousand skis at a thousand skis.com. Uh, we have skis, we have merchandise, everything's available there. You can follow us on Instagram at a thousand skis.com. It's or at a thousand skis, there's no .com or Instagram handle. And it's a thousand with like the number. So it's one, zero, zero, zero. And uh, yeah, that's, you can type me into YouTube, hit subscribe. I would say those are the best places to find me. 
I love it. Um, perfect. Thank you, dude. I appreciate you taking the time again. That was my conversation with Alex Hackle. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Now we're on to Seth Campbell. Seth Campbell is, uh, he's a G. I, lo- I love this dude. He's a ton of fun. And I couldn't be more psyched to have him on the show. I have a lot of real questions about climate change and what's going to happen and what the next steps are and what we can do, right? Like, I think that's the biggest thing is like, what can actually be done about the situation that we're in and the situation that we've all put ourselves in, um, whether it's inadvertently or not. So um, here's Seth Campbell. If you want to learn more about what Seth does, be sure to hit up alpinesciences.net and you can learn all about what Seth does. Cool. So Seth, why don't you just tell people who you are, what you do exactly, and then we'll kind of take it from there. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, thanks for having me, Adam. I'm Seth Campbell. I am a assistant professor at the University of Maine, and I also direct a program in Alaska called the Juneau Icefield Research Program. Um, and I specialize in glaciology and kind of snow science uh, research in Alaska, Canada, Antarctica, um, any place cold, um, and spend about four to five months a year in the field in various cold locations studying snow and ice. How did you, how did you get into this? Like, how was this a thing that you decided to do? It's that you're the only one that I know. Um, <laughs> obviously you said you and your wife are both glaciologists, but like, so that makes one and a half that I know now. Um, but like, what, how did you get into this? How did, how did it start and where did the interest start? Besides growing up in Maine and freezing cold weather all the time. Uh, <laughs> yes, <besides> that. <laughs> that's, that's honestly, that's probably the start. Just, you know, being, being out in the woods uh, in Maine a lot during the winter um, with my dad and uh, um, just realized I started climbing at a pretty young age in high school and uh, fell in love with rock climbing and fell in love with ice climbing and had my first, you know, my first kind of glacier mountain climb was Mount Rainier in the, in the mid I guess it would be the mid nineties. Um, and just ran with it after that, basically. So obviously one of the reasons I wanted to have you on was to kind of talk about what, I don't know, the current climate situation is too. One of the reasons that I wanted to have you on is just a chat. The other reason that I wanted to have you on is a diagram that you made out of flubber that we'll talk about. Um, in a little bit here. And then the other reason I wanted to have you on is because like I talked to Ian McIntosh a few weeks ago and he was kind of talking about how the work that he does with POW is so important to him because like we might not have ski seasons sooner than later. Like it's actually really, really important um, that people start paying attention and not just paying attention now, like actually start doing some shit. So talk to me a little bit about what you've noticed um change in your field and what what indications you've kind of seen that like okay like some real changes need to start happening yeah i think probably the biggest thing that i've noticed honestly is the actually the broader community around me uh is asking me more questions um i think it's it seems like this topic's getting a bit more mainstream and i you know growing up in maine my maine's a pretty it's a mixed liberal and conservative mixed kind of community. You have a lot of the community relies on the fishing industry, lumber, um, you know, farming. It's kind of a, a lot of tourism. Um, and, and, but everything we have in Maine is based on the environment, right? You know, mo- most of our industry is based on a, a healthy environment. And, you know, a lot of the industries that we have in Maine are at risk in some capacity as a function of climate change. And so when you think about the skiing industry, that's a great example that we, we may have, um, probably three mountains in the Northeast that will likely survive if we kind of continue on the path as we are. 
uh, in terms of uh, prime ski uh, uh, ski locations um, in future years, uh, just based on the snow line, the the, the melt line of, of where you transition from from rainwater to snow continues to to rise in, in elevation. Um, and and, and those would be what uh, sugarloaf being one of them. Uh, probably, and then, and then probably some, uh, a few in the, in the, and probably Vermont, um, or, or New Hampshire, um, and kind of the higher elevation regions, uh, like wildcat, for example, um, those are probably the ones that, that will survive. Um, I think the other crux you run into is the season's getting shorter, right? You're, you're, you're clipping off the, yes. the, the beginning and the end of the season, right? And we're, we're seeing that most, most ski resorts around the world are seeing around the country are seeing this, uh, certainly, um. And you know, a lot of a lot of places are not having <laughs> as much snow as they used to have. I mean, look at Colorado. We're still waiting for snow to fall in Colorado. Has it fallen yet? I don't. I don't know. I haven't checked today. I don't but, think so. I mean, it's yeah. I was just telling you, like, I'm going next week, and it's going to be terrible. It's yeah. just like uh, <laughs> I might as well stay in New England. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so I mean that 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 that's a, a concern that a lot of us have. And you know, I I got into this career from my outdoor interest initially. And, and and kind of merge the science with my my outdoor activities, my outdoor recreation activities. Um, and I think that's what's cool about POW too. You know, it really is kind yeah. of a neat organization that merges your your uh, science community with your with your your people that really uh, live and play in the outdoors and, and have a, a good voice to to kind of speak up and spread that word. Um, so from a yeah from a science perspective, it, it's it's changing enough uh, from when I was a child. You know, thirty. 35 years ago uh, to now um, that, that we're starting to see these changes uh, occur in, in our lifetime. And I think um, there's some cool books that have come out recently that are kind of talking about this. I think you posted one book um, a few uh, months or so ago, maybe. And um, another book that, that uh, was written by Porter Fox um, uh, called titled The Last Winter. He just came out with this uh, a couple of weeks ago does a really nice job kind of characterizing things that they're seeing out west and and uh, they joined us on the june he joined us on the june rice field in alaska and they went to the alps and and the book talks about changes they're seeing in the alps and and it's an interesting view because it kind of takes it from the perspective of a combination of the scientists as well as the, the locals that are kind of making their living in the ski industry as well um uh the, the communities that thrive on snow uh, as well, not just the the not just the ski slopes, but the communities that, that are centered around that. Um, so it's it's kind of probably worth a read, and it was interesting working with him on that 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 process because I learned a lot uh, from from a different perspective. Yeah, it's I, I'm super excited to read it. I have it on order now, and I'm like it's something I'm I'm very interested in. And I actually reached out to him to see if he wants to come on and chat too. Like it's, cool. I just think that these things are we need to start talking about them more actively and some stuff starts like needs to actually be done. Um, and I think part of the reason that POW is so important is that, like you said, it merges everybody's like favorite athletes with mm -hmm. the need to actually make changes and take climate initiatives seriously and take action, whether it's in Congress or just by donating for more research and donating for more programs available for these types of things. Like it, it the, the severity of the issue has kind of just increased over the past since even since the last time that we've spoken, I feel like everybody's foot is on the gas a little more. And the reality of the situation is we might not even have a ski industry really to talk about in a decade, two decades, who knows, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's totally yeah. a possibility. And if you look at the seasons and the way that they've gone over the past few years, 
they are they're so short like i mean realistically and the other problem is people's want to go skiing and like go and buy gear is higher than it's ever been before everybody wants to go outside so these areas are getting used at a higher rate are requiring more employees but at the same time you have less terrain open less less skiable acres basically on a day-to-day basis that people can go use and i think that part of it is only going to get worse um that yeah it's it's concerning man well it's you know it's a bit you you brought a cool you know i say cool point in some ways it's this this covid epidemic has kind of forced people to get outside a little bit more you know Mm. like you know we saw this influx of people moving to Maine or visiting Maine and, and, and our outside locations have been busier than ever, which I I'm psyched about seeing people getting outside, but then that you bring up that overuse and, and that use question in, in some of these you know naturally beautiful lands and protected lands. But then you bring up other issues like are there issues, are there danger issues as well in some of these locations that, that, you know, you kind of have a ma- mass group of people going to different locations, uh, and in the, the environment that they're traveling to, uh, you know, let's use take Mount Hood, for example. Um, you know, I'm kind of curious myself. I don't know this. Maybe you do about, you know, what's the use been like for, for Mount Hood for the Timberline Lodge region. Um, and, and I know that area has been changing over the years um, in terms of access. Um, I but, don't know. I mean, I know the seasons are shorter now. Like, I mean, the, yeah. the hood seasons, the available ski time there is significantly shorter than it used to be. And it just visibly looks different when you go there like i was there this like august or whatever and usually you go there in august or you know early september it's like still very skiable you can find stuff and it looks filled in right and this year was not the case at all not the case Um, yeah pictures it was pretty bare it's bare it's it's like that yeah that that kind of thing seeing a year-to-year change i think is part of the reason you're starting to see a lot of people like me like start to freak out about it more whereas i felt very compelled to talk about it before i felt like it was a really important topic to talk about but at at this point i kind of feel like it is the most important topic to really harp on these days well and part of me also wonders if the i mean i can't remember the last time we talked it was probably about a year ago maybe Uh, yeah probably about that a little little longer i'm not sure if we had the the change in the guard and the political spectrum or not but it's certainly been it's been a bit more forefront in in media with you know some of the the recent climate conferences the recent uh, release of the 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 IPCC the the IPCC report that just came out that that really hones in on uh, our impact on on climate. Um, so I think that type of material and folks that are you know our generation, the the next upcoming generation, and 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 uh, are are really taking a stand on on these issues more so than 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 ever. I think um, so. So I think you're right. I think it is getting uh, more mainstream. Uh, right now and um there's a lot of things we can certainly do i think i think the you know the the grassroots action again back to pow i think the reason it is so important is that it actually is is a organization that's working to kind of put voices together and and that's how change happens instead of like the individual you need to kind of merge forces in some capacity to make a make a difference because the changes that really need to happen are are big business and uh you know Mm -hmm. not decisions that we make but it's you know it's the major major polluters we we can certainly make a lot of decisions ourselves 
but we have such a small contribution relative to the overall big business entities. And that's kind of more of a, a legal and global scale process that, that needs to occur. Um, so, um, yeah, so it's, it's definitely out there and it's an important topic to consider. I think it is our topic that we are considering in our lifetime easily. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess that brings up a good point too, is, is it worth even investing for a lot of these businesses and a lot of these companies in the ski industry for a future in it, right? Like, I think the only thing, the first thing that I thought of initially was like, okay, there's places like Big Snow in New Jersey that are inside, right? I think you're going to start to see more places like that happen because of these shortened seasons, right? Like, to me, that's a win-win. Obviously, going outside is a totally different experience and it is not the same as being in a fucking shopping mall in New Jersey, but yeah. it is very much going to be a semi-norm i would think um going forward because these resorts kind of need to invest in things like this because we are already in this and this kind of is a different point but we're already in this system where we all like use a shit ton of gas and mm -hmm. a shit ton, like we are not using a ton of reusable resources mm -hmm. or energy sources as an industry as a whole right now i mean some mm -hmm. places are really good about it i mean you're starting to see the more use of windmills and solar and this thing and that thing but i don't know that that stuff is enough like this industry is kind of built off of like built on the backs of things that are causing a lot of the issues yep yep yeah that's that's a whole another issue that we could talk about for days obviously but yeah i, I will say you know that you, you mentioned about you know is is it worth these you know these you know ski resorts new as is and i think i have had some conversations with some some folks from various ski resorts and and i know diversification has become key right not just it's not just about skiing it's about well what else can they do during the summer can they mountain bike can they can they have other mm -hmm. activities at their resorts that are bringing people in so it's not just the the winter season that's getting shorter and shorter and shorter and i think i suspect um quite quite certain those those uh, resorts that are able to do that and and repurpose their their facilities and their resources um, are, are going to be the ones that thrive and survive in in the future um, it's mm -hmm. all about being able to handle that change what that means for the ski industry i i really don't know um yeah and, and but I, I think there are things that can be can be done you know so for example i know a ton of students that ski from maine that go to go to sugarloaf every year you know they, they, they get their seasons pass at sugarloaf or you know other other schools you know they'll go to sunday river or you know other local mountains but you know the the, the cost sharing and um you know changing up our transportation strategies you know those are the types of things that that can be done and, and making the this list services um based on renewable energy uh when possible those are the types of things that can certainly be considered but it's all an analysis right and it's all a financial analysis it's it's bigger than than one one conversation we can have here but at least those types of things are being put on the table right because yeah. i think the way those are put on the table are as a business person they want to reduce costs as much as possible right well mm. you can totally wipe out your 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 you're paying for electricity by having renewable energy on site fantastic <laughs> you yeah. know um so so those are those are things that are finally coming to the table um which i think is is an important piece of the pie uh moving I, forward. yeah that's that's part of the reason that i think people are starting to do it finally is mm -hmm. that it actually makes dollars and cents like it, it makes way more sense to have reusable resources mm -hmm. at this point 
than it used to. Like it used to be clunky and harder to use. And now the technology has gotten better and we've gotten to the point where I feel like there's no reason that, you know, I don't know, half the houses in my, maybe not half, but a quarter of the houses in my town have solar at this point. Right. And I think it's because my electric bill is like nine bucks a month or some shit like that. You know, like in my old house, it's like 90 bucks. A month. So like yeah. it, it makes a difference in the day-to-day -day person's life. So it definitely makes a difference for these for these bigger companies, especially the ski resorts that are looking for every single way to pinch pennies. And when you think about it, especially in New England, think about the cost of snowmaking. Mm -hmm. Like every, especially on a year like this year, like I told you, I skied Stratton today. It was yeah. terrible. It's grass in the parking lot or glare <laughs> ice in the parking lot, depending on where you go. Yep. And then you get on the resort and it's actually skiing pretty okay. You yeah. know, so that's, yeah a shit ton of snowmaking that has to take place which yep. is not like it's not free that that is one of the biggest expenses for yeah. these new england resorts is is keeping the trails open early season yep yep for sure for sure no, it's, it's not not an easy question i i yeah i i i can tell you i do science science advocacy but uh, the science policy side of things and the and the, the business side of things and how you actually make these changes are really hard questions to answer. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, but it does take, it takes a, an effort by all the community members to be at the table, uh, I think is an important thing. And yeah, you know, it's not beneficial to have people yelling back and forth at each other either, because you know, the, right. you know, there's a lot of people, it's their livelihood, you know, this is how they care for their family. And, you know, it's a lot of these are not easy questions, but uh, at least having people at the table is important for these discussions. So, um, yeah, so it, in general, you know, I think the, the ski industry in Maine and kind of the New England ski industry recognizes these challenges um, from, from what I've gleaned from conversations I've had with with a, a range of folks. So it's it's nice to see that that it's recognized in, in this part of the, the U.S. Yeah. It, it definitely seems like people are starting to get it a little more. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that's what's what is nice to see. I just don't know if it's enough. Right. Like you're, mm -hmm. it, it's and and maybe it's not. And we can talk about that part all day long. And it, it, at the end of the day, it kind of is what it is. And mm -hmm. at this point, stuff needs to start happening. Um, one of the things I wanted to bring up and let's see if I can use this share. Oh, yeah. Here I want to pull up this bit here all right i'm not gonna do this this is too annoying um okay what i am gonna talk about is this little video that you made which has a bajillion views on twitter at this point um <laughs> what explain this to me it's for people just listening to the audio i'll i'll post a link to the yeah sure uh, to the tweet um but what what is this thing you just you so the tweet is, I started using Flubber in 2007 for glacier, glacier models in STE medication. Um, what does this mean? What is it simulating? Uh, kind of explain this a little bit for me. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I'm, I'm a glaciologist. So what a glaciologist does is we were interested in seeing how glaciers get bigger and smaller over, you know, long periods of time and over shorter periods of time. And that change in glacier size has impacts on things like sea level rise, right? Um, well, one of the ways to explain how glaciers uh, move, glaciers flow just like water flows or, or rocks flow technically just over millions of years. Um, glaciers flow as well. And, and flubber is something you can make with Elmer's glue, um, a little borax and some hot water 
Um, so I, I do this demonstration pretty frequently with with uh, grade school kids all the way up through college. And you can actually, there's actually published papers using Flubber to actually publish looking at how Flubber deforms because it happens to deform quite similarly to how ice flows. And okay. if you think about a glacier, a glacier is generated from snowfall at high elevations and eventually that snow pile uh, piles up on top of itself to a point where gravity starts pushing it downhill. And that that movement of mass downhill is basically what this this flubber model simulates. So what this model doesn't show is it's is the model's actually on a, on a slight slope. So the flubber is just kind of sliding downhill. And the way it's set up, it has kind of valley walls that I that are just basically just pieces of wood. And then I put this little mountain in the middle, and the flubber just kind of flows around the mountain as it's moving down 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 the slope. And it does a really good job simulating how ice flows in a valley. So if you were to go to uh, Mount Rainier as a skier, if you go, go to Mount Rainier and look at Nisqually Glacier or to Timberland Lodge, or if you go to Denali National Park, um, uh, Denali has, um, uh, you know, the Kiltner Glacier, the Ruth Glacier. Basically, you see the types of structures that form, form at these glaciers that you would see in this flubber model. And, and and so that's it's kind of a teaching tool to kind of show how glaciers start at high elevation and then they flow down glacier to lower elevation. The mass is gained at high elevation as it flows to down down glacier lower elevations. Mass is wasted by melting uh, processes. Mm -hmm. Or in like a in a uh, Antarctica or Greenland, you might have large calving events where big chunks of ice fall off the off the end of the glacier into the ocean. Um, but but this model that I that I made, I think it. I don't know how many views it got, but it, it seemed to strike a nerve with the uh, get get uh, the science education community really excited really excited 52, about it. Fifty two thousand, Seth. Fifty two thousand <laughs> views on a flubber model of a glacier. Like this is that's crazy. It's, it's, it's not crazy. it's not exactly that's why, the, like, that's why I like actually saw it and I was like, oh fuck, we should talk about this because it's really good. <laughs> Well, it made me chuckle because I was like, I feel like the like like caving in Antarctica and like some of the other things are cooler than that, but way cooler. Uh, by the way, way cooler. <laughs> it's supposed to a flubber model, but uh, uh, but yeah, no, it, it uh, yeah, it, it is a good teaching tool and it's pretty neat because you can when you think about how we work as a scientist and when you're teaching students, when you're teaching young kids about you know glaciers and snow and you want to get them outside. Uh, mm -hmm when when kids are playing with stuff in their hands you know like flubber you can it's like silly putty basically um and and the example i can give that helps people understand how flubber deforms if you have a snickers bar for example if i take a snickers bar and i pull it really slow it kind of like stretches out right? right if i pull it really fast it actually breaks and fractures well that's basically right. what a glacier does as well a glacier when it's under high stress that high stress is i'm pulling it really fast it fractures and it creates crevasses whereas if i pull mm. really really slow it just deforms it, it what happens are the, the all the crystals in the ice itself deform around themselves so you don't have the crevassing that occurs so so when i say flubber is a good example of how glaciers move it's kind of an analog to glaciers and and people have published papers using flubber to kind of study ice dynamics and glaciers. So it's, it's a kind of a good introduction for, for teaching uh, people about glaciers and, and, and how ice moves around the earth. Um, um, so that's, yeah, that's all I posted. And I've been doing this for, yes. Yeah, and I think that was actually one of my first flubber models probably in, in 2007. So about 14 years I've been doing this and, uh, 
uh, <laughs> it's crazy that it resonated now. Um, exactly, exactly. But uh, um, it, yeah, it's, you know, it's crazy. I think people are interested now, and I think that's uh, we keep kind of going back to that. But it, yeah. people give a shit these days, uh, yeah, a little more than they did a few years ago. Yeah. Well, I, I think another reason why people get interested in stuff like that is if you put a little bit of information about okay, how do you do this? You know, anytime you're posting something online, I, I've I've learned this. You know, it's better to post something to explain what you did and and what you can use it for as opposed to just posting a picture um, right, you know, right. in the education science community if people are actually like hey i might do this in the classroom and that was a lot of the comments i got a lot of individual emails saying hey can you kind of walk me through uh how how you do this in the classroom and how you set it up in a classroom to kind of explain glaciers and and how glaciers flow and are there other examples mm -hmm. you use so there was definitely there was a very large mass influx of emails after that, after that video, uh, mostly from science, you know, from, from K through 12, you know, high school, grade school. And then right. I'd imagine that's who would have the most use for it on a day to day yeah, basis. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for so, sure. sure. It was, it was fun. It was fun to see the interest uh, for yeah. sure. I didn't, I didn't realize it hit that many. Um, it's quite a few. It's quite it's a few. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I was, I was pretty shook when I saw it myself and, you know, I'm just like, Jesus Christ, like, what is this? um and it's twitter like i feel like nobody's really on twitter like there are people on twitter but it's not like that's the place for this kind of thing usually so put that thing yeah on I, i'm not good at posting regularly on, on these yeah. types of things i just throw a few things up here and there and um i have some friends that are that also do tiktok and they uh, uh one, <laughs> one cracks me up his name's peter neff um and i can't remember what his what his handle is for tiktok but he's got like i don't know like a million followers or something like that <laughs> so because yeah, he posts so his videos from Antarctica and he explains what he's doing in Antarctica. So it's like ice coring and, and, you mm. know, going to these kind of extreme locations and, and people, people suck it up. It's kind of like a little education thing. I'm not that active to be able to, uh, I'm not people like somebody that's an expert, dude. They like really yeah. like, especially on TikTok. Like I can't tell you how many cooking videos that I've watched in the last week <laughs> that are just like somebody telling me how to make something that I already know how to make. Yep. And they're just like showing me a way to, and I'm like, I already know how to do this. And I'm watching this for the 15th time in a row. So that's, uh, TikTok is like the wild west to me. It's so insane. And uh, yeah, I don't know. We, we, well, maybe I'll, I'll, uh, I'll do a few TikTok posts and see what happens in the next, next day. You should, you should. It's funny. It's like, I thought it was for children for a while and it's apparently not. It's for everybody. It's, uh. Yep. Somebody in Ski Patrol today told me they had a TikTok, and I'm like, I'm not, because I saw him like sliding on the ice in the front of the lodge, and I was like, What are you doing? TikTok. You know? <laughs> TikTok. So, well, yeah. if I, I feel like if it gets if we get science out to people, cool. All right. Yeah, I guess I'll, that try, is... it. I'll try it. Um... Maybe I can be goofy with my niece or something like that, and put a dance together to glacier modeling or something. Yeah. <laughs> um. So one of the other things I kind of wanted to mention too was uh, you talk to Porter after you um, like after the book came out, you kind of did a series of questions with him. Yeah. One of the questions you had for him was if people can take one thing away from this, essentially, mm -hmm. what should they take? And his answer was that everything is connected. Um, yeah. So what does that mean when it comes to glaciers and uh, e even as broad as climate change, but I guess specifically for what you do? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, I, I'll, cause I'm, I'm a, I'm a Mainer. I grew up in Maine. And so I think it's a, it's an easy location for me to kind of give an example, but yeah, I'm, I'm people often ask me, why am I in Alaska all the time? You know, studying glaciers in Alaska, what's that have yeah. to do with Maine? Well, 
Alaska meltwater. It comes off, you kind of have this ice field to ocean connection where you have meltwater that comes off the ice field. It works its way into the Gulf of Alaska. That freshwater influx into the Gulf of Alaska, it basically impacts the fisheries, the microbiology, um, all the way to the, the economy, right? It's a big, big fishing industry there, right? Well, so the same thing is effectively happening uh, in Maine in some capacity. You have a whole bunch of freshwater that's coming off of Greenland. And that fresh water basically cycles its way its way south and it mixes with water that's moving northward and it's it's impacting the 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 freshwater saltwater uh, processes around the gulf of maine and we know right now um how, how that's happening and, and the the complexities associated with it are are not quite so simple but we know right now from observations that the coast of maine uh waters are warming faster than about 99 percent of the planet um mm. which is huge right and so what's that what's that going to do to the fishing industry in the coast of maine right so so when porter mentioned that everything's connected the point is like what's happening in the arctic yeah you know, what happens in the arctic and what happens in the tropics impacts us right and so if you think about how just atmosphere atmospherically how how heat moves around the earth the the uh more heat arrives in the mid latitudes than in the northern latitudes just based on the, the the process of sun hitting the earth and that heat is pushed northward right and so so the atmosphere is moving around and, and transporting uh heat and the ocean transports heat and and the glaciers transport fresh water and all those processes kind of interplay with each other so i think that's what porter was getting at is that that all these mm. these processes in in you know areas where there's very little people <laughs> still yeah. impact, right um and and yeah i think that's starting to become clearer nowadays i think one of the reasons it's not as clear as it could be in in many communities is is when we when science is taught at least for generations it was taught where where topics were very sectional right you would get chemistry and you would get biology and you right. would get uh physics but nowadays we know all of these parts kind of mix with each other right and and earth system science is basically combining all of just all of these distance different science dif disciplines together um to understand earth processes and, and it's a hard discipline earth sciences is a hard discipline to understand because it requires understanding all these kind of sub-disciplines um, but that's how the earth works so um so hopefully in in future years the earth earth systems science is going to be bigger in in curriculum because i think I, I'm pretty convinced that, you know, how we dig ourselves out of some of the holes we're in is, is better education uh, nationwide, globally, um, in, in the situations that we're putting ourselves into. Um, so. Yeah. Can I, so can I ask you something not necessarily related to the U.S.? Because I think our mindset on climate change is very politicized and it's very yep. related mm -hmm. to how you align yourself as a human being as opposed to what actually is happening, right? Um, for example, a place like Norway, I just had Nikolai Shermer on a couple weeks ago and yep. one of the, I talked to him last year about this, but one of the things we talked about was Norway as a country and the way that they treat climate change and the way that other European countries in general treat climate change. And even the way that Canada treats climate change, maybe not as much Canada, but what, what is different about the approaches in those places? versus the approach in the u.s and aside from it just being a political thing right what what can be done to kind of change the perspective of people i guess that they start looking at it in a way that's a little more 
global because we live in a time right that's so sorry that this is such a long-winded question but we live in a time where everybody's so connected right like we're doing this we're four hours apart from each other right you're on social and you're two seconds away from connecting with you know miley cyrus you know like it's it's that kind of world these days and I guess I just wonder why we haven't taken more from places like that mm-hmm. that are starting to get it and starting to use systems and use the knowledge and the research that they have to start making serious changes in the way that they treat these bigger businesses. Yep. Um, so I will, I'll preface this with, I am not a, I don't consider myself a great science communicator. I do it. And, I, and this is one of the other reasons I like protect our renters. They, they advocate for imperfect advocacy. <laughs> you know, like, you know, you're, you're not perfect in everything you do. Right. And nobody is really. Right. But, right. but you know, the, the best you can do is learn a little bit about how to become a better, better at science communication. And, and a person that I respect greatly in our science community that I think is, is a phenomenal role model for this process of, of improving our ability to connect with each other and, and, get past what are perceived political differences or societal differences is Catherine Hayhoe. Um, she's a climate scientist out of Texas. And she also published a really cool book recently. I think it's titled Saving Us. Um, and it's worth a read because she does a really nice job diving into uh, what generally works well with connecting with people and what doesn't work so well and why we 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 don't respond well to certain styles of pressure and why we, we compartmentalize ourselves, you know, when, when the pressure's on and, and we, we even get feistier when the pressure's on to try to change our minds. Um, she, she just does a really good job with that description. And, and I think she, she's interesting because she's a, she's a very well-known, well-respected climate scientist. She spends a lot of time talking with a religious community members um, she's, she's very religious herself. And, and in, in a lot of situations, you might, you know, people might pit the community, community, the religious community, uh, against the, 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 the science community, which in fact is not really true. Um, what she does is she does a good job creating those personal relationships and creating those personal links, you know, that, you know, and her strategy is, is making the link of, you know, helping each other type of thing right and 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 so that's right. what she focuses on uh as as one example right so you know for my strategy in, in the coast of maine you know i grew up in the coast of maine where 90 percent of the people that i grew up with are they rely on uh tourism industry uh they rely on the fishing industry um so i'll just use those two as an example if if we are on the same page with the concept of what happens if the ocean waters keep warming faster and faster, well, there goes the lobster industry. What happened to the lobster industry mm-hmm. in Massachusetts? It moved north. It's no longer really there. It's not the powerhouse location it used to be, right? And it's just right. going to continue to move north. So, so you're trying to relate um, what what's at risk to the to the community members that that, that you know and picking picking your battles in some way. Like, you know, that's, that's an environment that I grew up in. I know that battle. So I can kind of talk about that battle in a way, because that's where I was raised. Um, we all can kind of have that type of an impact. And I think that's an important message we can kind of spread either way. It's not an easy topic. And I think the, the polarization and the, the political uh, issues that we face in the U S do not help with <laughs> what I'm suggesting here in, in this case. But I think other countries, they have these issues as well. But I think in general, the uh, they're able to see through that with with 
the fact that they are they are making progress. They're making you know much better progress than we are in a lot of the situations we're dealing with. So, um, uh, you know, I don't know if this really fully answers your question, but that's at it was least a long my, question. So, I mean, it, to be was, fair, that's that's, think, that's my take. That's my take on it. That yeah, you know, we have. I, to, I think that's fair, though. Like, I think that makes a ton of sense. It's what becomes difficult, I guess, is how do we start to depoliticize this mm -hmm. so that it can be viewed a little more openly. And that's one of the things that I really like, I love POW and I, I'm a huge supporter of what they do. That's one of the things that I actually think that they could do a little better of a job at is making mm -hmm. people feel less like it's about their political party. Mm -hmm. And I realize that we are coming off of a year where it was really important to make sure that the right, and again, like political biases aside, the right person, air quotes, got in there um, for the environment. It has nothing to do with your political beliefs. And we talked about this last year. Mm -hmm. That part of it was what kind of became important. I, I just wish that there was a way to for them to kind of go out there and say, here's how we feel about this situation. We don't care where you come from. You know, we don't care. And, and maybe they have put this out there and I just haven't seen it yet. But I feel like I'm in this industry enough and I'm like on all the content that gets out there enough that I should know yeah. it was out there. Yeah. Um, the, the only, the only thing that I think did a pretty, I mean, I, I completely understand what you're saying. I, I will say, I think that that purple rain that, that they came out with the, the movie that kind of has yes. Germans being, you know, with, with other people was phenomenal. I think it was, it, it honed in on the concept of those personal connections and trying to build those personal relationships where, you know, you do have something in common despite all your backgrounds that you might, you know, whether it's right. political or, or religious or, or whatever, you still have common ground to stand. And I think that's an important message, at least if, if they can focus more on that. And if we as a community can focus more on that, that, you know, you're not pushing, uh, you know, pushing people aside. Um, there is, there was a note that was interesting in Catherine's uh, book that I, that I noted that she said, you know, something along the lines of this, there's, you know, nine or 10% that you just aren't going to sway. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, you can generally pick those out <laughs> and so yeah. you just need to walk away from them, but we don't need, we don't need a hundred percent, right? We, we need, we need less than a hundred percent to, to be successful at what we're trying to, what we're trying to try to do. So, um, so if you can generally pick out those people that are not going to, that you're not going to be successful working with and, and being able to communicate with, and you can work with those that are kind of more on the fence, um, that's, that's our target, our target to, to try to uh sit down and, and try to brainstorm how we can kind of meet in the middle and 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 understand their perspective understand our perspective and and try to help with the with the science details and the facts that are in reality are 90 percent of the time are probably going to be benefiting them as well uh, yeah no and and i don't want to make it sound like i'm like shitting on them in any way because i i think that they do an amazing job it's just like the one area where i'm like we kind of all need to be in the same no about this right Yep. And the information needs to be easy to regurgitate. It needs to be easy to understand. And it needs to be completely like for everyone. And I think yep. when I say that, I, I agree. Um, Jeremy Jones' film was was phenomenal. And if you haven't seen it, obviously go watch it. Um, because I think it does a really good job of, of kind of highlighting that there is some, and it's important that we kind of try to bridge that gap. One yep. of the things that was tough for me was like, it very much highlighted that one party was not very interested in having the conversation, you yeah. know? And I think that that isolates the people that are part of that party and are like, Oh, well, if that guy doesn't like them. Maybe I don't like, you know, and that's my yeah. only 
yep. my only worry, I guess. And maybe I'm just making up a worry, but I, I think that it, it is potentially a an area for improvement for for an organization that does so much good. Um, and like, I don't know, I feel like I'm being nitpicky, like, because I like them so much, but I just, I, I think that that's important that for people. I would for this absolutely audience. agree with you. And, okay. and I, I can maybe close with this thought of, I agree with you. I grew up a conservative person, a very conservative. I grew up in a conservative household. I, I hunt, I fish, we ran a trap line, um, about as conservative as you generally get in a small, you know, rural, rural community. Um, I, I will, I would classify in that community. I'm also a climate scientist, right? Yeah. Right. Um, you know, so, so there's this dichotomy of, 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 you know, what some people might be like, well, how do you, how do you reconcile those? And I don't see it as reconciling. I see it as, you know, I know I have a lot of conservative friends that are just as caring towards the environment as I am. Um, mm. they're just more from a, a fiscally conservative perspective, you know, you know, so, so it, it's, it's, you know, it, it, I agree with you. We could absolutely do a better job at, at not pitting one against the other. And, and yeah, I think society in general pits one against the other. That's what's big for business. Right. That's what's big in for media. Sure. Right? right. You know, it's, that's what's pushed in media nowadays. It's not, it's not sexy if it's not pushed. If it's and not I say this now and I'm sure I'm going to get a DM that's like, Adam, you're an idiot. Like you say this all the time and you're like, don't vote for Trump or like Trump's an idiot. Like, <laughs> like I say these things now on this side of things and I'm aware of like, I'm just saying I want to be better at it because I really feel this way. Right. Like this is like my actual thoughts on this. So. No, I, th I think it's fair. Yeah. And I, well, I think that's also like, you know, the whole imperfect advocacy, we can all improve. And right. We, can all, we can all do a better job at how, how we approach these situations. And if we all sit back and actually think, did I do a really good job at that? Probably not. Yeah. I could probably improve what I did, the, how I phrased this the last conversation. Yeah. I could probably not go off on that, that tangent that, that made the For person sure. upset and kind of stick with the common ground kind of concept. So yeah. Yes. Yeah. But cool. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Seth, thank you for the time. This has been great. Um, where can people find you on the internet, Twitter, social, yep. obviously sure. your website. Uh, yeah, Twitter. Yeah. They, if they want to see that link, it's, uh, <laughs> Alpine sciences. Um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, maybe I'll post something on, on Instagram. On, uh, I post occasionally on Instagram, but not much. Um, and then of course you can find me at, uh, I also have a website, alpinesciences.net that kind of shows, a lot of kind of what I do from a science perspective. And of course you can find me at the university of Maine in the school of earth and climate sciences and climate change Institute. Um, and then there's a lot of places to find me. I guess you can also find me in the Juno <laughs> <laughs> research program. Like what else? Yeah. Um, so many things. So I do some social media. I just don't pay attention to it that much. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Uh, be sure to check out Alex Hackle on Instagram. It's just at Alex Hackle. Check out a thousand skis, thousand skis, and obviously check out Seth Campbell, Alpine sciences on all platforms. So uh, we'll see you guys next week with maybe some in-person interviews. Finally, like I'm like been trying so hard to get in-person interviews and, uh, and we're back. We got it. It's rolling. Psyched. Talk to you guys next week. Bye.